Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. we can all look at our lives and if you've tried to live your life for the Lord and you've tried to be uh, submissive to Him, I think all of us could say that we can look at our lives and say, look, all that, look at all that God's done. Amen? Everything good about me has nothing to do with me. Everything good about you has absolutely nothing to do with you. Everything good about my life, I didn't put it there. Everything good about your life, you couldn't have put it there. Uh, God gets all the glory for what is done in our lives because it's all of Him and none of us. Amen? If it was up to us, we, we, would, be, we, would, we would be on our way to hell. We would be already there. Amen? If we were left to ourselves, that would be the best that we would have to offer. Amen? But you look at where you are. Look at what God's done in your life. Amen? I think many of us could even look to today and what God has done today and say, God, you've been good enough to me today that I could not stop praising you for the rest of eternity. Amen. I bless the name of the Lord. Take your Bibles with me this afternoon, or this evening rather, to the book of Proverbs. And uh, I, I, this, is, this is still strong on my heart from Wednesday night. And so we're going to look at this together, just pick up where we left off on Wednesday night on uh, Proverbs chapter number one. Again, uh, this is a little bit of Bible study, I guess, for us tonight. And uh, unless the Lord gets in and helps me. This about all might, might be all I have a gear for tonight. Amen. And uh, we we've been where we've been uh, this week after a full after a full day uh, on Wednesday, and then packing up and getting ready in Bible College Thursday, uh, making our way down Friday to the meeting, being in church all night Friday night, uh, and then then all day Saturday, and then so far today, and uh, I, I'm wore out from that. I'm going to go home as soon as we leave here and pack for five. Five days of being out of town with our uh, with our teenagers, and uh, being Jefferson, North Carolina, Monday through Friday, uh, with our young people. Get back just enough time to gear up for Sunday and be with us and do it all again. Amen. And I saw somebody that said, uh, I saw some, I saw somebody that had posted. They were making a joke. It was a, it was a joke type picture, and it, it said, uh, oh, it said, Pastor, you're going to youth camp this week. It's it's like it must be like an extra week of vacation for you. Amen. And uh, you should have just seen the picture of what the guy's face looked like. But uh, it's going to be wonderful and God's going to meet with us. Uh, but it is taxing on this flesh. Amen. To travel. And uh, But I thank God for how good God's been. So y'all forgive me if I don't get into a second gear this afternoon. Alright. Let's look at our Bibles. Amen. Whether we shout and run the aisles or whether we just look in the Word of God and see what God has. It's still His book. It's still His Word. And there's enough power in His Word to change the world. Amen. So let's look in the book together. Proverbs chapter number 1. I invite you to stand as you find your place in verse number 1. <clears throat> the Bible says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, and the king of Israel. And uh, really, thank you, brother. I about finished mine over there. Amen. 
I, I believe we got about there on Wednesday night, like I promised, and uh, we'll pick back up in verse number one here in just a moment. But verse number two, the Bible says to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice and judgment and equity. Before I continue reading, I feel feel led and pressed to say this 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 afternoon, or this 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 evening. Amen. I've been in afternoon services all week. I get it wrong no matter what time I'm preaching. Amen. This morning I said this evening. This evening I'm saying this afternoon. Amen. I'm gonna get up. I'm gonna get up in the morning and tell my wife happy evening. I guess. Amen. Uh, but I felt impressed to say this. These the, we read through these verses. We read through these words, and they may and when we read these we may just look at them as. And, and we need to be very careful when we come to a book of the Bible like this to not just read this introduction and say, oh, it's an introduction, and, and that's just the way introductions go. But you think about this. Here God is saying that he has, he has given us a book so that we can, have, we can know wisdom, we can know instruction, we can have these things in our life that we need. I'd say this this evening. We have a God that sure does love us. Amen? To give us us a book to help us, to give us a give us a book of 66 books but then to give us a book like this to where we can we can get to, to, have, to have some knowledge that we need to have to where we won't implode our lives before God can do something with it amen as I read this as I began reading this just this evening and you're here and I couldn't help but in the back of my mind and in my heart say thank you God for loving me as much as you do to want me to have these things in my life. Amen. Verse 2, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and, ju and judgment and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the, wise, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels, to understand a problem verb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother for they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head and chains about thy neck. We'll conclude our reading there tonight in this first and second uh, paragraph of of this chapter. You may take a seat. Let's pray together and then we'll get into the message that the Lord would have for us tonight. Let's pray together. My kind and gracious Heavenly Father, I bow before you tonight, Lord, realizing how much I yet again need your help. Lord, it's been, it's been such a blessing, God, to be able to be in meeting and have opportunity to preach and see our young men preach and be used of you. And Lord God, just to see the influence of Beacon Baptist Church reach out to another congregation and be used in your hand to help them and strengthen them. Lord, that church has, has, has went through some difficult days, Lord, in these last several years. And Lord God, we're so thankful to have been a part of what you've been doing, what you've been doing there this weekend. And thank you, God, for how you used our church. Lord, I pray, dear God, that every bit of fruit 
that came out of, Lord, this weekend. I pray, God, that you would, at the judgment seat of Christ, that you would pour out, Lord, your blessings upon all of that fruit to each and every part of this congregation, Lord, that allowed it to be possible. And, Lord, God allows me to go and preach. And, Lord, God, I realize that, uh, Lord, that we, uh, Lord, to God, that we need each other and we have a place here. But, God, to be able to go outside of here and, Lord, let our church be a blessing to someone else, Lord, is, Lord, is such a wonder, it was such a wonderful thing. And, God, thank you, Lord, for our wonderful church that allows it to happen. And, Lord, praise for me as their pastor and praise for these preachers in our church. Lord, I pray, God, that at the judgment seat of Christ, Lord, that you would pour, Lord, out your, Lord, you would pour out your blessings upon Preacher Lewis and, Lord God, upon Brother Jeremy as they stood here so that we could stand there. And, Lord God, everything you did this weekend, Lord, is to their account as well for, Lord God, allowing the ministry here to go on. And, Lord, we don't have to cancel services, God, just because there's an open door to preach. And, Lord God, it's been so wonderful being back here tonight and being in our favorite place. Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you've done in our hearts tonight. Thank you, God, for letting us be a church that has missionaries, God, that we can hear about and, God, that we can support. Thank you, God, for letting us be a, to be a church, God, where we can sing the songs of, of faith together, Lord, and rejoice in your goodness. Thank you, Lord, God, for what you've done in each and every home and each and every life. And, Lord, God, for saving us the way that you have. And, Lord, God, blessing our lives the way that you have. Lord, to where all of us can say, Lord, look at what you've done in our lives and look at how good our God has been when we're so unworthy and we're so undeserving. God, you have not stopped being faithful and you have not stopped being good and you've not stopped being wonderful. And, God, we, we just give you praise and honor and glory for being the God that you are. And, Father, I pray for these next few moments as we look in the Word of God. Lord, as we try to hear from this uh, page, these pages of uh, this book of wisdom, I pray, dear God, that you'd help us not to, uh, Lord, not to become, uh, Lord, uh, not to become uh, stagnant with the uh, familiar, not to become uh, cold when it comes to uh, Bible instruction. But I pray, dear Lord, that you'd speak to us, Lord, this evening. God, as only you can, grow us in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Grow us in our understanding of the Bible. Grow us in our understanding of how uh, to apply uh, spiritual truth, uh, God, to everyday situations in our life. And help us, God, as we study some things in this book in these days. And I pray, dear God, that you just bless as only you can. Fill me, Lord, I pray with the Holy Ghost. Help me, God, to say only those things that you'd have to be said. Nothing more, nothing less. Use me, God, I pray for your glory. And God, I pray that you'd help this congregation as they listen. And Father, I pray, dear God, that you'd help us all to endeavor to do more, to be more for you. And God, I pray that you'd change our lives, Lord, with even simple verses like this. And God, help us to be conformed to the image of your dear Son. Lord, we sure do love you, and we thank you, Lord, for loving us first. In the name that is above every name, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen and amen. 
on Wednesday night of the, this this past this past Wednesday night, uh, I began to talk to you a little bit about uh, some things that God has been doing in my heart as I have spent some time uh, reading and studying here uh, in the book of Proverbs and how God has been uh, pouring His truth into my heart. And as I began to just see what a blessing it's been to me, I felt burden of the Lord to share some messages that He's given uh, me out of this book in these days. And so uh, Wednesday night we began just simply to uh, look at a, really an introduction to this book. And I want us to, to, do, uh, to, to do that again this evening. The Bible here in verse number 1 says that uh, these are the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. We began on Wednesday night to preach what I'm calling a preface uh, to the Proverbs, an introduction, if you will. We began by uh, noticing uh, really quickly, we began by noticing what this book is. Verse number 1 says it is the Proverbs of Solomon. It is a book, it is a collection of Proverbs, of, of wise sayings, if you will. And we talked about how all societies and all cultures have uh, their Proverbs. Amen. Even here in the United States of America, we named a few. We talked about how we'll say uh, when, uh, how we'll say any job worth doing is worth doing well. Uh, that there's no such thing as a free lunch. We talked about it's better late than never. Easy come, easy go. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. The early bird catches the worm. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And things like that. All of those are statements of wisdom that we have coined here in the United States of America. And if I would, if I could be so bold, I wouldn't be surprised if most of those came from the South. Amen. Doesn't that just sound like country wisdom to you? I, I can't hear if it ain't broke, don't fix it coming out of Maine. Can you? Amen. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Somebody down South came up with that. Amen. And, uh, and I'm thankful for good old country wisdom. Amen. But here we find wise sayings. That is what this book is. And then we talked about whose this book is. The Bible said that it's the Proverbs of Solomon. That is, we talked about his possessive name, Solomon. We, we talked about his pedigree. He was the son of David. We talked about his position as the king of Israel. Those things are mentioned here. And how him being Solomon, him being the son of David, him being the king of Israel, all gives credit to the man, all gives authority to the man that wrote these words that you and I should listen to them and to glean from what he had to say. We finished up Wednesday night beginning to talk about his provision. Look again at verse number one. The Bible says the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. When we think of the Proverbs coming from Solomon, uh, who was David's son and the king of Israel, we can't help but think about the provision that God made so that he could use Solomon to write these words and to make them possible for us this evening to even be able to read out of a book like this. Take your Bibles with me please to 1 Kings chapter number 4. We finished Wednesday night by reading these words and I told you we would pick back up here and that's what I intend for us to do tonight. In 1 Kings chapter number 4, we find God giving Solomon a provision of wisdom and understanding by which he was able to write this book that we're looking at tonight. 1 Kings chapter number 4 and verse number 29. 
the Bible says, and God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much. Not just wisdom, not just understanding, but those exceeding much. And he says, and largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. And how amazing it is when we think about how God gave Solomon wisdom and how we'll read in just a moment about how as a result of God giving this provision uh, to Solomon that it, it was that he wrote these Proverbs and many others. But it wasn't the fact that David, or excuse me, uh, Solomon wasn't just provided uh, with wisdom and understanding, but I find it amazing that the Bible says that one of the things that causes the Proverbs to come into existence in our life is the fact that God gave Solomon largeness of heart. It's one thing to have wisdom and it's one thing to have understanding but it's another thing to have a heart that is enlarged with love and devotion to the point to where you can have all of the wisdom that he had and all of the understanding that he had but I believe with all of my heart that due to the largeness of heart that God gave to Solomon as a provision that was why in Solomon's life he viewed it necessary to write down the wisdom that God gave him and the understanding that God gave him. And it comes to us because Solomon with largeness of heart didn't want to keep the wisdom and understanding to himself but wanted to write it down for the benefit of others of which you and I are benefited tonight. That Solomon wanted to not just know what he knew and help himself but he wanted others to be blessed by it. Can I say this this afternoon? That ought to be the heart of every child of God, not to just know what we know and have what we have and hoard it for ourselves, but to, uh, to dispense it to others, that others can be helped and others can be blessed by the provision of knowledge and wisdom that God has given us. Amen. That's what we ought to do. That's what we find Solomon doing here. Verse 29, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country and all the wisdom of, uh, of Egypt. <coughs> For he was wiser <coughs> than all men. And then God chooses to list uh, some of those very wise men. And then at the end of verse 31, the Bible said, and his fame was in all nations round about. And he spake 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were a thousand and five. So God gives these proverbs because, or Solomon gives these proverbs because God has extended to him a provision, a provision of wisdom, a provision of understanding, a provision of largeness of heart, so large as the number of sand upon the seashore. God let him have more of it than anybody else had ever had lived, ever did live in his day, and ever would live. And you and I, when we come to this book, we are being blessed by that provision that God gave. Notice with me real quickly. Take your Bibles. Uh, we are in 1 Kings chapter 4. Go back a couple of chapters. I want us to look at some things together. God did give this provision, but, but how did this happen? 
How did it happen that God gave this provision to Solomon? First of all, let me say this. I believe that God gave this provision of wisdom, understanding of largeness of heart uh, to Solomon as a result of a great need. Notice what your Bible says there in 1 Kings chapter number 2. Look with me at verse number 10 real quickly. The Bible says this, 1 Kings chapter number 2 and verse number 10. The Bible said, so David slept with his fathers. That doesn't just mean they had David and all of his ancestors were in a room together and they were all taking a nap at the same time in some real big nap room in their palace. It means David died. David entered into a, a, a sleep, a forever sleep for those that know the Lord. The Bible likens death to those who know the Lord as entering into sleep. And that's the way that it is for us. David slept with his fathers. David passed away as all of his descendants, all of his patriarchal predecessors had, all of his fathers had. He dies and was buried in the city of David. Amen. He was buried there. Verse 11 says, and the days of day, and the days that David reigned over Israel, the days of his kingship, if you will, were forty years. Seven years reigned he in Hebron, and thirty and three years reigned he in Jerusalem. Notice, it, notice verse number twelve. Then sat Solomon upon the throne of David his father, and his king was established, or his kingdom was established greatly. I submit to you that in verse number 12 we find Solomon in great need of wisdom and understanding. Even largeness of heart. Because here we find David, Solomon's father, who we can truthfully say was the greatest king that Israel ever had. Now his reign of many years, of 40 years, is over. And now his son Solomon is being called upon to reign in his stead. David dies here, and we understand as we read the Word of God that David before his death or excuse me Solomon before David's death had received from David a great charge and was told of the trust that his father had in him and in his ability to be king. Look with me at chapter number 2 in verse number 1. The Bible said now the days, the days of David drew nigh that he should die and he charged Solomon his son saying I go the way of all the earth. There, there's enough proof to understand that that's the way all of us are going to go one day. We better be prepared to leave this world because that's the way of all the earth. Amen. You're not, we're, not, we're not getting further away from death every moment, every day. We're getting closer to death. David said, I go the way of all the earth. Then he says this to Solomon. He said, be thou strong therefore because I'm going to die. Because I'm going to go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong therefore and show thyself a man. For Solomon, in, this, in the moment of David's death that we read just a minute ago, can you imagine what it would be like at this moment, having heard David said, uh, be thou strong and show thyself a man. When you take up the reins of the kingdom, you show yourself a man. You stand there. You be the king of the nation of Israel. You're not a boy anymore. You're not a king in training anymore. You're not just the heir, but you're the man. You're the king. Show thyself a man, he says here in the passage.
Philistines. Could you imagine what's going through Solomon's mind is now he finds himself not just in the shoes of the king, but of the greatest king that Israel has ever had. He finds himself, uh, he finds himself in the shoes of King David that the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. His dad, you think about this now, his dad was the giant killer. His dad was the sweet psalmist of Israel. His dad was the greatest military mind that Israel had ever known. Saul has slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. And that's the shoes that Solomon has to fill. I'd say Solomon standing there in that day knowing dad, daddy is dead and knowing I'm the king at this moment and I'm no longer the heir, but I am the king. I'd submit to you he's in great need of wisdom and understanding. David goes on to say, think about this. Think about how you would feel if you were in Solomon's shoes. Look at verse 3 of chapter 2 of 1 Kings. David continues his charge. He says, and keep thou the charge of the Lord thy God. Not just, he's not telling him, don't just be strong and show thyself a man in the physical position of king. But now he is saying to keep the charge of the Lord thy God. This thing is not just a physical thing, it's a spiritual thing. You make sure that you do what God has charged us with. Can I say this? Anytime you're looking at, anytime you're looking at, at something spiritual, anytime that you're looking at a charge that involves the Lord and, 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 a, and, a, and, a, and a, a position in life that involves you being somebody for God and you being used of the Lord, David here is in charge of an entire nation. And it's not just him showing himself strong and looking like the man and doing his best to act like the man but to know God is watching and God has placed a charge on us as kings of Israel and we must in this position please the Lord and God's watching what we do. I'd say, I'd say Solomon's in great need. His father warned him of these things. He says here's the charge of the Lord thy God. The charge God gave him was to walk in his ways to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgment and his testimonies, all of those things, all of those things summarized to keep the word of God, obey his word. He says in the middle part of verse 3, as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest and whithersoever thou turnest thyself. Can I say this this evening? That's the same way it is today. If you'll keep the word of God, you'll prosper in what you do. You may not be a fit, you may not be prosperous in the word, in the term, in the in the terms of the world, and in the vantage point of the world. You may not be you may not be prosperous in the eyes of the prosperity gospel preachers. My bank account wouldn't be enough for Kenneth Copeland to sneeze at, and yours probably wouldn't either. A man that has a taxable net worth uh, of right at a billion dollars. Think it's 750 million that he he claims to be a billionaire, but the government can prove that he has at least 750 million. When he compared to 750 million, what what I've got is it, it wouldn't even be enough to blush at. Chances are you're in the same boat with me when it comes to that. 
But I'm, I'll say this, I'm thankful that my prosperity is not what I have in my bank account or what I, what I do or do not have. I'm thankful that my prosperity is not in what kind of house I live in or what kind of cars I drive or what kind of suits that I wear or what kind of shoes I have on my feet or whether or not I've got a Rolex or a Timex on my wrist. Amen. Uh, those guys, you look at them and they, they're flying around in personal jets and they have, uh, they have multiplied thousand dollar suits and multiplied thousand dollar rings and million dollar watches and they have all of the th trappings that the world would say is prosperous but here David under David here is telling Solomon that there is a prosperity that is beyond this life and God has the ability to prosper you if you'll follow him can I say this if we, if we follow him we'll prosper as well here David is being, Solomon is being told by David that the charge of God is to keep the word of God and be prosperous in the work that God has called him to do as king, to prosper in all, in all that thou doest and whithersoever thou turnest thyself. Any direction you go will be prospered of the Lord. Verse 4, David says that the Lord may continue his word which he spake concerning me, saying, now notice this, God said this to David, and he said, I want this, this has happened for me. David said, this has happened in my life, and I want this to continue for you. He says, if thy children take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. I would say as you hear David's charge that we understand is God's charge because God is being quoted. It's put here in the Bible for us. David here is charging Solomon not just with the way he needs to be as king, not just to put on a facade of strength and to try to make a show of strength. Adolf Hitler made a show of strength in Germany. Joseph Stalin made a show, made a show of strength in, in the Soviet Union. You could go on and go on beneath Mussolini made a show of strength in Italy. Uh, you, you could go on with the different comparisons. Saddam Hussein made a great show of strength in Iraq. But I'm telling you this afternoon that it's more than just making a show of strength that makes a leader that God smiles upon. There's more to that. And David warns Solomon of that as one that has just been king for God and served God in this position before God's people for 40 years David as he goes off the scene and he goes the way of the rest of the world in the death he said Solomon God's watching what you do keep his word be prospered of the Lord and if you do God will keep the promise that he made to me a generation ago that if I would do this then they would not fail to sit upon the throne of Israel one of your descendants amen there'd not be a man to feel to fail to sit on the throne of of Israel. And so there is spiritual pressure to what Solomon's dealing with. Not only is there physical pressure, not only is there spiritual pressure, but I'd submit to you, and we're not going to read through this uh, very much this evening, but I would say there's also political pressure. He goes on to list the names of several people that had done him wrong. He said there in verse 5, Moreover thou knowest also what Joab, the son of Zariah, did, did to me. 
what he did to the captains of the hosts of Israel, and Abner the son of Ner, and Amasa the son of Jether, whom he slew, and shed the blood of war in peace. And put the blood of war upon his, upon his girdle that was about his loins and in his shoes that were on his feet. Do therefore, according to, listen to this, thy wisdom. And let not his whore head go down to the grave in peace, but show kindness on the sons of Berzea, the Gileadite. Amen. And let them be of those that eat at thy table, for they came to me when I fled because of Absalom thy brother. And he goes on and he names name after name after name of people that Solomon's going to have to deal with. And you remember there in verse number 6 how David said for him to deal with him, deal with it in thy wisdom. Deal with it as you see fit. Deal with it as you feel led, as makes sense to you. Here we find Solomon is in great need because here there's, there's a physical need. There is a spiritual need that we find in this charge. But there's also a political need. Uh, there, there, there is an administrative need, if you will. David is, is telling Solomon that I am leaving and there's some things that I haven't had a chance to deal with that you're going to have to pick up where I left off. And you're going to have to deal with it. Here, and, I'm, and the only way you'll be able to deal with it is in thy wisdom. If I was Solomon, I would say, dear God, I'm going to need some more wisdom. There's been plenty of things. As a pastor, I've had to go to God and say, God, what do I, I don't know what to do. I'm going to need your wisdom. Amen. There's been plenty of times as a father, I've said, God, I don't know what to do. I'm going to need your wisdom. There's been plenty of times as a husband, I've said, I don't know what to do. God, I need your wisdom. And we could all agree to that this evening. So many times we don't have the wisdom to face the needs that we have and what we're confronted with. And David said, do it in Solomon's wisdom. So no doubt Solomon feels in this moment, I need some more wisdom to deal with these great men. You think about this. Joab at one point in time before, before he betrayed David, before he did what he did to David and David's men and betrayed King David, Joab was one of the most trusted men that David had. Da Joab was one of the closest advisors that David had, was one of his right-hand men, if I could use that terminology. And you know that Solomon would have grown up loving Joab. You know he would have grown up hearing stories about the wonderful feats of Joab and how close Joab and David were and all of the things that God wrought with them together as a king and as a fellow laborer, amen, as a soldier, if you will, amen. And here Solomon's going to have to come and deal with someone that means so much to his father, means so much to him, and I'd say this as well, means so much to the nation of Israel. These names, these are not just names that have been drawn out of a hat. These are not your local criminals that you just don't know and there is no connection with the rest of the country. These are men that, yes, they sinned publicly. Yes, they did wrong publicly. But they were also at one time faithful publicly. 
Solomon, God is saying through David, Solomon, this is yours to deal with. David's saying, God's calling me home, and I'm checking out of here, and this is what you're left with. I'd submit to you, you, to you. He was in great need. David, his father, is dead. Even though, I would say this as well, even though we find, uh, we find in these verses we read just uh, we read just a minute ago about how God, uh, how God in verse number 12 of chapter 2 had allowed Solomon's kingdom to be established greatly. You know what that means in your Bible? It means that all of the kingdom had readily accepted Solomon's right to rule. His, his uh, kingdom being established, it, it's having a foundation that throughout all of the kingdom, all of them recognized Solomon's right to be their king. None of them by and large, majority speaking, no one in the kingdom is, is, is dissenting against that fact that Solomon is supposed to be king. And even though he's been readily accepted as king, and even though he has been embraced as the next king, it did not stop the king, uh, King Solomon, from having big decisions to make and him being put in a very tough spot. Look with me at, look with me at verse number 13. And Solomon here, his kingdom has been established. No one is, no one is, uh, no one is coming against that. That has been dealt with, and I'll deal with some of the more of that maybe here in just a moment. But the Bible says there in verse 13, and Adonijah the son of Haggith came to Bathsheba the mother of Solomon and said, and she said, comest thou peacefully, peaceably? And he said, Peace, peaceably. First of all, let me say this. I would have a problem if somebody like Adonijah was trying to come and have a conversation with my mama. Amen. I, I, I told y'all before, I make no, no bones about it. I was a proud mama's boy when she was still here. And I'm telling you, I, I would fight you in the ground for my mama. Amen. And we, if you know your Bible, you already know that this Adonijah, and we'll read the verses here in just a minute, but if you're a student of your Bible, you know this Adonijah character is not somebody you want around mama. He can't be trusted. And here, not only that, Adonijah comes uh, to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, and it's already so bad, you already see that there, that there is a little bit of issues here with this man, even if you don't even know who he is. And you come to this verse in and of itself, and the fact that Bathsheba, as soon as he approached her, said, Comest thou peaceably? I'm telling you, you're a bad dude if somebody asks you when you come, are you coming to cause trouble? Amen. Amen. If one of y'all came in and I asked you every time you came in the church, are you trying to cause trouble? Chances are you've probably been a troublemaker before. It means you're bad. It means this is a bad dude. Amen. Bathsheba says, come and sell peaceably. He says peaceably. So then he, she allows him to talk to her because he says that he's not, he's not there with any ill will. That was a red flag enough to me. Verse 13. Look at verse 14. He said, Moreover, I have somewhat to say unto thee. Again, I don't know about you, but if you're a student of your Bible, anytime I see that phrase, I have somewhat to say, amen, usually not, nothing good comes after that, amen. If you read Revelation chapter number 3, and you look at the times where God said, I have somewhat against thee, and see if what he says after that's good words, amen. Did I have somewhat to say to thee? That sounds, that sounds to me like King James language of saying, I've got a bone to pick with you. 
Amen. And she said, say on. In other words, all right, get it over with. Amen. I don't know how y'all read the Bible. That's how I'm reading it. Amen. Verse 15. And he said, thou knowest that the kingdom was mine. Already there's problems. Because verse 12 says that the kingdom is established greatly. No one is challenging this. And if you look back there in chapter number 1, you'll find that Adonijah was a man that before David was even dead yet did try to take the kingdom from David. This is David, this is David's son trying to take the kingdom away, trying to, trying to, uh, trying to uh, come in while David is sick and while David is weak and take over the kingdom, even though God has already told David that Solomon shall reign on the throne. Solomon, Adonijah says to Bathsheba, to the mother of the one that is now sitting on the throne, the one that Adonijah wanted to be in his place. The Bible says that Adonijah said, Thou knowest that the kingdom was mine, and that all Israel set their faces on me, that I should reign. Howbeit the kingdom is turned about, and has become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. I read this, and as I read this, I can't help but see Adonijah's attitude. You know that the kingdom, the kingdom was mine. Adonijah was the oldest son. Worldly speaking, it would have been his right to rule. The only problem is, as a power higher than David said that Solomon would be the next king, God told David that Solomon was to be the next king on Israel. And it doesn't matter how old you are, God overreigns all natural policies. And here, Adonijah comes and he says, the kingdom was mine and everybody in Israel was looking to me and they wanted me to reign. But now the kingdom is turned on its head. Now everything is, is messed up and worked around and topsy-turvy and Solomon's on the throne and you know that and he blames it on the Lord. Verse 16, because I didn't get what was mine and because I didn't get what the country wanted and because they didn't get their way I'm coming to you now and I'm asking a petition of you verse 16 and he said deny me not and she said say on and he said speak I pray thee unto Solomon the king for he will not say thee to, he will not uh, say thee nay in other words Solomon won't tell his mom and no that he may give me Abishag, the Shunammite, to wife. And Bathsheba said, Well, I, I speak for thee, I, I will speak for thee to him. Bathsheba therefore went to King Solomon to speak unto him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed himself unto her and sat down on his throne and caused a seat to be set for the king's mother. And she sat down on his right hand. That would be a hand of favor. That would be a hand of pleasure. Verse 20, Then she said, I desire one small petition of thee. Again, I see she's trying to mull it over. She's trying to make, make it palatable and acceptable to Solomon. I have one small petition of thee. I pray thee, I beg thee. In other words, say not to me nay. And the king said unto her, Ask on my mother, for I will not say thee nay. And she said, Let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah the bro thy brother to wife. And King Solomon answered and said unto his mother, And why dost thou ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Ask, uh, ask for him the kingdom all also, for he is mine elder brother, even for him and for, and for Abiathar the priest and for Joab the son of Zariah, all, all of those men he just named are men that backstabbed his daddy. 
They're men that he's going to have to deal with because of their betrayal of the king when David was king. Verse 23, then King Solomon swear by the Lord saying, God do so to me and more also if Adonijah have, have not spoken this word against his own life. Now therefore as the Lord liveth which he uh, which hath established me and set me on the throne of David my father and who hath made me in house as he promised Adonijah shall be put to death this day. You would say all he asked for was for a wife. I don't know about you. I'm just saying, I'm saying as I read this passage of Scripture, I can't help but see uh, Solomon in a tough spot. Adonijah was not to be trusted. He'd already tried to take the kingdom from David while David was sick and the chief men of David. He had caused them to divide their allegiances from David uh, to Adonijah. Solomon, uh, is, is Solomon, as the account goes, is, is kind enough to, uh, in, in chapter number 1 and verse uh, and verse number Number, uh, verse number 52, Solomon says, if he will show himself a worthy man, in other words, a man worthy of life, a man worthy of being allowed to live, a man in step with the kingdom and, 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 the, and the direction of the kingdom, there shall not a hair of him fall to the earth. Notice this now. Notice the, the promise that Solomon made. It says, but if wickedness shall be found in him, he shall die. David or Solomon is a young king. He has been given a charge on the deathbed of his father. I can't emphasize that enough. It's one thing to be told something while a man lives, but it's another thing to be given a charge with a man's dying breath on his deathbed, using his last words to tell you, or some of his last words to tell you what you need to do. Be strong. Show yourself a man. Deal with these that have come against the kingdom. Do so as you see fit. Do so as you need to do. And all the while, remember, God is watching, and God will bless you if you stay in tow with him and what he wants. This is a man that Solomon has already made a promise to. He's already been good to. He's already spared his life, even though he didn't deserve to have his life spared. This is his own brother that has come against, that has come against his father and tried to take advantage of his sick and ailing and dying father to take the kingdom away, knowing that God has said it belonged to his brothers, had taken the most trusted men that his father ever had, the equivalents of best friends of David, and turned them against uh, their own uh, of, 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 uh, turn them against their friend in favor of you. This man doesn't deserve to live. This literally is the definition of treason. But Solomon in grace says, I'll let you live. I'll give you another chance. And here comes this trickster coming again. And of all people, he doesn't come to Solomon. But he comes to Solomon's mama. He comes to Bathsheba. 
And you think about this now. Uh, for those of you that may not understand the significance of this, if you study who Abishag the Shunammite is in your Bible, you will find out that she was, the, she was one of the chief nurses of King David. She was one of the ones that took care of King David. This is yet again another trusted person in David's household and in the king's household that, that, uh, that Adonijah is trying to take for himself. And, day, and Solomon in wisdom says in the wisdom that he has after having received a charge from his father on his deathbed, you do what you need to do in thy wisdom. And Solomon here with great discernment sees the handwriting on the wall and familiar signs again. And he says this is not happening in Israel again. So therefore David, or excuse me, Solomon has to deal with Adonijah. He executes Adonijah. Later on he will find that he does the same to others. He does the same to the ones that he named just a minute ago. He does the same to Joab and others who have come against David. He is having to take these big names these trusted advisors, these, these top key men in the kingdom. And because they chose, due to Adonijah's deception and Adonijah's treason, they chose to, to turn their back on David and to embrace Adonijah and to go against God's will in Solomon being king. Now Solomon, as the son of King David, has to take his, David's, take his father's best friends and most trusted advisors and publicly before all of Israel have them put to death. Can you imagine what a tough situation this put Solomon in? This is the, why do we have the book of Proverbs? Why did God give the provision of wisdom and understanding and largeness of heart to, to Solomon? It's because it was the result of a great need. Solomon needed wisdom, amen, that we see later on in the book of 1 Kings that Solomon is having to make partnerships with other nations. He does so with other nations in the foregoing chapters. And then in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 1 through 7, we see that Solomon is beginning the task that David had entrusted him with and that God had called him to as David as Solomon begins to take those vessels and those uh, those instruments that, uh, that, uh, that uh, provision that David had prepared for the temple and begins to build the temple that God didn't let his father build God told David here I'm not going to let you build a house for my name you're a man of war so I'm going to let your son build it David had already let Solomon know that the, that the temple is ready to be built. I've made provision these many years, and it's going to be you. It's going to be your task to assemble all of these provisions and make the will of God happen in Israel. What a great need we find King Solomon in. Can I say, I'm going to close with this this evening. As we look in these verses, we see that Proverbs are necessary, that God, that Solomon needed God to give him this wisdom so that these wouldn't be produced from that because when, David took, or when, when Solomon took over the kingdom from David, he had a great need. He needed wisdom for all of the things that not just, not just life brings, but then to know that you as king are over thousands of lives and you don't want to make a misstep.
recently, I'll close with this illustration. Recently, I read, I, I don't know if any of you've read it. I, 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 I read it. I say I read it. I listened to it on Audible. If you count that as reading, then I read it. Uh, if you don't count it as reading, then I listened to it, and it was a blessing. Um, but I recently read or listened to it, being read, whatever you want to say, the book entitled Decision Points. I don't know if any of y'all have ever heard that book. The, the book Decision Points was written by President George W. Bush. And it was, a, it was an account of his presidency. And it was an account of all of the different decisions that he had to make. And I'll, I'll stand before you this evening. I realize I was very young when he was president. But I was old enough to know as a Bible-believing Christian there were some decisions that he made that even, and I'm a conservative, and he says that he was a conservative. Now, I think I'm a little bit more of a conservative. I think you would be a little bit more of a conservative than he is, especially today. Yeah. But then he was considered just as conservative as the rest for the most part. And he, 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 in the book, he talks about the weight of the presidency. He talks about the, 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 when the decisions come across your desk and you realize all of the, 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 the weightiness of the decision to say, okay, we're going to send 10,000 troops in. We're going to send so many hundred troops in. We're going, we're going to take our guys and we're going to bomb this region and we're going to do these things to, to know that the country is looking at you and waiting on you for an answer. He gave, he gave the account of what it was like to, to show up on, at Ground Zero on 9-11 and to try to sit there and to talk to the firefighters that had have, that have gathered and try to talk to the, the different military men that had made their National Guard and others that had made their way to the side and realized that when you walk up to them, and he's just a few months into his presidency, started it in January of that year, and here we are, just barely into September, and he walks in front of those guys, and he, you feel the weight of their salutes, and you feel the weight of their greetings, and you feel the weight of that you're the man in charge on such a chaotic day, and they're looking to you for instruction, and they're looking to you for help and for direction, and the weight of that moment... And I, I read that, and I, you know, I, I've always been interested in politics. I've always been interested in presidents. My wife can, will tell you that, that, that I probably know more than any human being probably should about different things about the presidents. But it's just from the time I was a small child, it interested me. And hearing that book and hearing and listening to him read the book, that's the reason I wanted to be an audio book. He read it himself. And to hear his voice read about those situations, you could still, after all of these years, he recorded it recently, you could still hear the emotion in his voice as he recounted some of those things. That's a weight that I don't think any of us understand. And to, to hear the heart of a leader... You'd have to say, and he said it throughout the book, that there were so many times to where the weight of the nation drove him to his Bible and drove him to prayer. I was thankful to hear that, that a president said that I realized that I had to call on God to give me some help in these decisions. And the best decisions he ever made was the ones that he had spent time with God and he got God's direction. And it wasn't a, a snap decision. He prayed and he spent time in the Bible and he said, God, you're going to have to help me. And no doubt that's where Solomon was. 
So when you pick up, I'm spending this time just on this little introduction. So when you pick up this book, you'll realize it's more than just random sayings in your life. This is something that God did to meet a great need in the heart of Solomon. God poured wisdom on him, poured understanding on him, and gave him largeness of heart because he was a man in great need. And I would submit to all of us tonight that as I look around this room, that every single one of us is a man, woman, boy, or girl that is in great need. You may not be in charge of a whole nation like Solomon was and like the President Bush was, but you're in charge of your sphere of influence. You're in charge of your spouse and how your leadership affects them, how your life affects them, how your decisions affect them. You're in charge of your children. You're in charge of your grandchildren. There is a sphere of influence around you to where we'd all have to say, God, I'm a needy vessel. God, I am a needy servant, and I need wisdom, and I need understanding, and I need you to do something in my heart to where I, I, I am concerned, and I'm burdened. I'm not just willing to make flipping decisions with my life that will affect so many other people. But God, I've got to have you. When we read this book, that's where we come to. We say, God, I've got to have you. I've got to have your wisdom. I need more of your wisdom and understanding to be provided into my life. And as we look in this book and as we read it, if you, even if, if you're a person that reads a proverb a day, go every day to your daily proverb and come to it with the idea, God, I'm a needy person. You gave Solomon wisdom and understanding and largeness of heart because of the great need that he faced. And I may not have the same needs that he faced, but I have my own needs and I need wisdom today. So when you come to Proverbs, say, God, I need wisdom today. Would you pour into my life? Would you provide for me that wisdom that I need and help me because I want to make the right decisions. I want to be in step with your word. I want to be in step with your will. And I want you to prosper everything that I do for my good, the good of others, and more than all of that for your glory. That's what I want in my life. And that's what we see when we come to the book of Proverbs. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm done preaching this evening. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com. <laughs>